another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Hey, by the way, for all of us in every campus and if you're online, uh, next Sunday we've got uh, Dave McCracken, who is going to be sharing across life uh, once a year. He comes in, he's a real prophet. He brings what he believes God is saying to us as a church. So it's going to be an exciting, exciting Sunday. And uh, we're going to have a great time. We just had noise in Central. Good to be joining with Melbourne as well this morning. So great to be connecting. And uh, we are in the last part of our God, Money and Me series. I've had so much great feedback, so much challenge that comes with the subject of money. And if you're new to life today, or you're joining us for the first time online, we, we believe, come on, that God has answers to every part of living. And uh, so I, I am digging into Scripture and saying, God, we want to see a revelation of your release when it comes to material money things so that we can be a blessing in the world in which we live. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you're a big, big God. You're able, more than able. In fact, our human minds can never ever fully comprehend how big you are and your blessing and your ability to break through. And we just pray today, all of us, we're here going through different seasons of life that you would just meet us and you would direct us today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, Marie and I, if you've been around for the last few weeks, were never taught in church about money. We were encouraged to become generous people. It's an amazing thing to me that you can have somewhat of the answer, but not the full perspective. And our heart, as I've mentioned, is through the series. If you're visiting, you might want to go back and through podcasts, you might want to take hold of what we've shared. But we've looked at some of the big money myths that uh, we don't understand what is behind them and how God addresses them. Not only that, we have moved on and talked about God's order of release And then last week I began just to clarify, and today I want to do the second part of that, is how that there are four ingredients to building a financial foundation. And they are the ingredients of stewarding, of seeding, of saving and spending. And again, if you're new, you may not really be in tune with where we've been going, but it is my belief, this is my personal view, second to sin Unsurrendered money is what the enemy uses to distract and to restrict me. And so that's why we need to come to God's view of financial understanding. In fact, you read through the Proverbs and you'll hear the voice of wisdom. What I'd love you to do today is take God's Word and go, God, do I really need to hear this? And wisdom is speaking. Solomon writes this, but it's wisdom that's speaking In Proverbs 8 and verse 17, and this is what wisdom says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Don't ever mistake the reality that you will not make major changes in your life unless you're committed to it. You can't just be inspired and become a different person. There needs to be a change in the root system over any issue. And wisdom goes on in verse 18 and says, Riches and honour are with me. Enduring riches and righteousness. Once again, as we've seen through the series, is righteousness and the breakthrough in finance are dovetailing together. 
Wisdom is saying you, you can't get right living and not have benefit in your natural world. That God is wanting us to become people that are positioned to be able to make a breakthrough. And whether we're in Melbourne, we're south, we're north, we're online, we're here in central. God is saying where you're at today is not where you need to be or will remain if you follow through the right patterns of living. But then wisdom says, my fruit is better than gold. Yes, than even the finest of gold and my revenue than choice silver. In other words, this is not just about money. It's about the fruit that it produces. I transverse the way of righteousness and in, am in the midst of the paths of justice. Verse 21, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth. I've said it before, prosperity is not just about increasing your bank account. It's about positioning you to change the lives of others. That I may cause those who love wisdom to inherit wealth, that I may feel their, uh, fill their treasuries. Again, we've seen even God puts money or the way we respond with money as a divine testing ground. For Marie and I, the catalyst of our turnaround began as I went back to Scripture and the heartbeat of the series is 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, where Paul writes and he says, God is able to make all grace, not some, but all grace abound towards you. That you would always have all sufficiency in all things. And that you would have an abundance for every good work. That you would be in excess so that you are empowered to touch a world beyond your own. And seriously, some of us still doubt whether God's blessing is towards us because we haven't seen it. Rather than going, well, if we're not seeing it, we've got to shift some of the ways that we're responding. And I want to challenge you that even if it hasn't been in your generations, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Therefore, don't you allow, well, it's not going to happen to me, to take over and control the way that you see God in your future. You've got to begin to lean in and go, no, there is an understanding in God's Word where that grace can meet me. So I live in a place where I have no extra need of support. I choose to work to multiply what I already have so I can become more of an impact in the world that I live. In other words, I don't choose work according to money. I choose my life according to the purpose of God. And if we're not there and that's where we were, it's like something's got to shift. And we began to look at these four ingredients, which are these words, stewarding, seeding, saving and spending. And again, for those that haven't been here, just very quickly, do you know that stewarding is to do with your financial authority? If God is not in the first of your increase, then God doesn't have the authority to step in with the rest and to open up your future. We've seen how whenever we increase, I even taught our boys that if we gave them something, even though it was from us and we had honoured God with that already, now they had to make a decision in their increase whether they were going to honour God. And that first of the honouring, see anything that does not bring God into the first of it, the spirit of mammon attaches to the rest. The church is filled with people that have seen the increase come, which mammon has still authority over the rest because we haven't honoured God in the first. And that's why Malachi 3 and verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And yet from the days of your father, you've gone away from my ordinances. And that word ordinance literally means my commandment. 
It's, it's so much more than an Old Testament law. The other word ordinance is this. It's a specific decree. And this is where, you know, the church, and there's so much debate. Oh, I don't believe in tithing. It's an Old Testament law. Yes, it was in the law, but it's an ordinance. It's a specific decree. When a king makes a decree, the decree stands until he makes it void. Yeah, but there's not tithing this, that, and the other in the New Testament, and it's not like really emphasized. And so, no, a decree stands until there is a refusal of that decree from the king and says, the time is up. And God has never done that. And yet, you, you know, we, we, here we are, we debate about it, we turn, and yet God says again, return to me. This is about you and me, and I will return to you. In other words, I can step in on your behalf because you've established me as sovereign over your material world. And I get kind of worked up about it because verse 8 says, will a man rob God the opportunity? Would you rob God the opportunity of stepping in and breaking through? And so here we go. We go on and on about this debate over the law. And I go, no, you know, even, well, it's not New Testament. It is New Testament. Matthew 23, 23, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious ones, they come to Jesus and uh, Jesus responds to them. And he says, woe to you. In fact, you're people that tithe. But you've neglected more than the tithe, the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others are done. You ought to have tithed, but don't leave the other things. It's not about living this kind of narrow lane of ticking boxes. You ought to. The original word means you must do that. Well, it's not you. No, you must do that. We all agree when Jesus said to Nicodemus, this again, this learner of the law, this person in church every Sunday, I want eternal life. Jesus said, you must be born again. Same Greek word. You must be born again. We agree. Yeah, you've got to be born again. But when it comes to tithing, it's like, well, I'm not too sure again. Is born again an option? If I'm in church enough, will I get into heaven? Being in church doesn't change you from a pew. Unless you say, God, would you come into my life, forgive my sin? And so often we're seduced from understanding the truth of what God is. In fact, even today after the first service, uh, this dear couple came up to me, a younger couple, and they said, thanks for your teaching. This week, we've always not tithed, but we decided to tithe. And I said, that's amazing. I said, because what you're doing is you're trusting God. He said, yeah, I don't know why. It's just like that tithe that just... I said, I'll tell you what it's like. Jesus said, or, or the word says, God says, return to me. You know, you can have a biological father that you don't trust. And then the young guy said, always my relationship with God. I never felt like I click in with God. I never feel close to God, but something shifted this week. So you can have a biological dad who you don't trust. And even though he's your dad, you'll never feel his breath, his presence. The completion of that relationship. Same with God. Oh, I'm not going to tithe. That's because we can't trust Him. And if we don't trust Him, we'll never know what it is to have His presence. Come on, stewarding. It's so much more. Yeah, of course it was a law, but it's not a law. Second word. And these are four ingredients that we need is seeding. And uh, again, all four of these areas, it's kind of like all four ingredients are needed, need to be valued. Again, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Again, not a lot of time, but Galatians 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. The word deceived is don't get seduced because there's a seducer out there. 
Don't allow yourself to wander off the path. Oh, well, I used to do it, but I've wandered off the path. Do not be deceived. God is not emphatically mocked. What a man sows, he shall also reap. In other words, remove this, I'm special, and in the sense that I can't find a breakthrough. No, sow your future into being. And not only sow, because I used to sow, but I didn't realise that I had to go out and reap. I had the law of sowing, but not the law of reaping. A, a, a farmer, as we've seen, puts seed in the ground, but then expects to do the hardest of work by gathering what is rightfully theirs. It's not like, well, it's just going to turn up for me. I've got to go out, cut down the harvest so that I can break through on that harvest and see that two-part principle activated, the law of sowing and reaping, which literally means go cut down the crop. So therefore, I've changed my mindset. I'm going to go cut down the crop that belongs to the seed. We're going to find an answer to make that happen. The stewarding and the seeding. I hope you're with me in Melbourne and online. Come on, north, south and central. Because I want to get on to where we got to last week, which is the third category, which is the whole category of saving. And all four ingredients are a must for the foundation to set and become the answer to future financial freedom. Saving is my generational investment plan. And uh, the challenge of that for all of us is to understand that money grows on generational trees. Yet everything we're taught in society, it's about the here, the now, and the me. But the authority of legacy must involve a shift in our thinking of God being sovereign through stewarding, harvest being opened through seeding. But now this thought of saving is that we're going to learn to live life differently. David said in Psalm 145 in verse 3, he quotes these words, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Then he says, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another generation and shall declare your mighty acts. In other words, your life needs an echo in the next generation. Something about you and every part of your life should have an echo. Uh, it was in the early years of me adapting to computers. And I remember when we first started the church, there was a time where I was learning a new program and I was in at the offices here about 4.30 on a Sunday morning and I had my message prepared. And then I hit something that deleted it all. So I Rogers wasn't around. I had no one to ring. And you can never imagine how I felt at that point. I said, Lord, rapture right now would be a good idea. Because I've got to preach today and I've lost everything. Come on, ever done that? It's kind of like, oh, I lost all that work. Why didn't I save it along the way? Here's my thought. You know what the enemy's intent for you to do is, if he can't get you with stewarding, then he'll get you with seeding. If he can't get you with seeding, he'll get you with saving. Because he knows that if you begin to change the way you think and begin to work generationally, the next generation doesn't have to start all over again as you had to start all over again because your grandparents weren't being taught what you have been taught. And we've seen Proverbs 13, 22, a good man, what does he do? He leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. In other words, 
When you begin to think generationally, you're going to find wisdom bring you to places you've never been before. And as I said last week, some of us say, well, we've got no biological children's children. Come on, the kingdom is filled of non-parented children. Come on, we have a legacy to create through what God is doing that lives beyond the me and the my and it has this generational echo. In fact, verse 23, there is much food in the fallow or the untilled ground of the poor, but for lack of justice, there is waste. Again, the word justice for lack of ordinance. It all ties together because we're not doing it God's way There is so much more potential in the ground. If we did it God's way, we would begin to unlock that. I want to challenge you today. What's your investment plan? What's your saving? If saving is literally my generational investment plan, how's it going? What are you doing about it? Some years ago, I did a little exercise about the widow's might. The widow, you'll remember the story, put her coins into the giving container and Jesus honoured her. And yet there were many that were putting big lots of bills in. And yet he said, she's done more than most. But if she were not to put it in the offering and she did the right thing, but if she didn't and she understood the generational echo that could have had. Come on, it's not one without the other. You need stewarding, you need seeding, but you also need saving. We did a bit of calculation. It would have taken a place when I did this calculation, which was uh, 1987 years ago. She had 80 cents, currently US 80 cents, and she put it in, and it had 4% compounding interest, and she just kept that interest gaining year after year. What would it be worth today? And some people say, well, it'd be worth millions, I suppose. Some said hundreds of thousands. On the screen is what it would be worth today, which is 5.6 decillion dollars. You go... You were good at math? Well, I hope we got it right. I think we have got it right. In fact, in 2016, the International Monetary Fund Fiscal Monitor report declared that the total global debt of the non-financial sector was $152 trillion. So when you look at that figure and you go, just by having 80 cents put aside, with 4% compounding interest on an annual basis, that's what it could have led to. It would pay off all of that debt, that current world debt, to the power of 17 zeros. Not just uh, one times, to the power (laughs) of uh, 36.8 quintillion times. Okay, now you say, why are you telling us all that? Because the reality is, all of us think we don't have money to save. But you start with 80 cents and you stay it long enough, build it generationally. Let, let me put it another way. If you were to earn 50000 a year, maybe a combined salary or it's your own salary, and you began to live out what we've been talking about as far as just honoring God with what is His, seeding and then saving, and you put aside $100 a week. I did, again, another calculation this week, and you put that on 4% interest. And you just said, that's going to go generationally. And of course, it could make a lot more money if you put it into your home, non-depreciating asset and see that grow. But if you just put $100 a week away and you work for 45 years, started at 18, finished at uh, 63, and you had 45 years of doing that with 4% compounding interest, that would equate at the end of your life to 641000 
Now that could be double or triple if you put it into great, come on, non-depreciating assets. But you can imagine what difference that would make to your children's children. And then you might say, yeah, but 641,000 then wouldn't be worth much. But if you just carried on with the same percentage, you would compensate for what it would look like. Okay, if you talked your children into doing the same, and so they did the same for 45 years, so a total of 90 years of just taking $100 a week, not increasing it, just $100 a week, what would that amount to after 90 years? It would account to 4389 Come on, I wouldn't mind grandparents like that. Now imagine if we talked another generation to saying, let's do it this way. Let's always have this percentage put aside. What would that look like? If they did it for 45 years, it would amount to 25,000. Uh, sorry, 25 million, 578,901.17. And the enemy has taught the church to just live for here and now. Just consume it all. Don't think about the generations, because if you were to think this way, you would set them up and they would be, be living 2 Corinthians 9.8. They would be breaking through at a level. By the way, the understanding of that, even in Singapore, talking to Pastor Sai when he was there in the 1990s. I don't think I was even born. But in the 1990s, Singapore, the government had an edict that 20% of everything you earned had to go into a savings scheme. And the government would match it with 20%. And yet here, it's kind of like, well, we we're struggling now. We don't even think about that. Uh, how, how many know Warren Buffett? Anybody heard of Warren Buffett? In fact, I def decided to Google him this week and I just typed in the word Warren. He came up first. Don't tell me money doesn't have authority. But I want to learn from people that have broken through. And this is what Warren Buffett says. And by the way, his current net worth is $78.7 billion. I'm thinking of writing to him about our central project. <laughs> Here's the problem. We should be in that position as a church. And people are writing to us about their needs and we're saying, God's got an answer for that. Come on, some of you can't even get your head around that because you can't see past your nose when it comes to finances. You're saying you're being a bit stroppy. Yes, because I understand that mammon hates this kind of talk. And I want to father our church. If you're online, I want to father you into a place of financial breakthrough. 78.7 billion. This is what he said. Do not save what is left after spending. Make sure you spend what is left after saving. If there is no saving component to your future, you go, yeah, but I, I couldn't. You know, you talk about the 10, 10, 10, 70. I, I could never do that. No. Here in New Zealand, by the way, it's different in Australia. But here in New Zealand, you realize there's Kiwi, Kiwi Saver, where the government has said, if you put in 3%, the company you work has to put in 3%, and that's all pre-tax. So you've already got 6% of the 10% being put aside. And one of the greatest things you can do with your saving is to go into a home that's going to build net worth, but you're not going to consume it in your retirement. Your saving is for the generations. Your spending is how you work your retirement, everything to do with your own life. Stewarding. Seeding. Saving. What about spending? Oh, I can do that easy. Don't need to talk on that, Pastor. Did you see the sales sign? We just had Black Friday. It's amazing. Sales. You've got to go. Sales on. There's always those little words that we don't see up to. 
Come on. It's like, yeah, but you just cannot do it because it's on sale. Can I suggest we're going to live bigger than that? <laughs> Come on, spending, it's kind of like these four containers. We increase by $100, whatever that increases. It's like, will we trust God and get into proximity with our Father? If you can't trust God, you can't trust anyone. So the first tenth of that $100 is, that's God's. Where does it go? Into the church I'm planted in. That's where it goes. And then my seating goes wherever I want to help somebody with. I, I want to work towards another tenth that's going to go into my seating. As I've shared, Marie and I had a problem because we were putting everything into seating and we had nothing in saving. And so we had to learn to downside our seating because we had to start, if that's what God wants, let's work towards getting it to the same proportion to increase harvest through seed, but let's save the same. And then let's live on 70. And you might go, yeah, but it's not like that because if we tithe on the gross, if God's first in that, and then we tithe, if we seed it on the gross, well, I'm not saying necessarily to do that. Start somewhere. So tithe on what belongs to God and then what's left 10% of that there, 10% of that there and live on the rest. Or 10, 2, 2, 86. And then move it to 10, 5, 5. It's not like you've you got to do this absolutely the way I'm talking about, but you do have to do some things. Honour God and have something in each component. Otherwise you have no strength of foundation. You need it together. What I would say, nobody ever taught me, these two must be locked together. Whatever you're seeding must equal what you are putting into the generations that follow you. And it will become the catalyst to get you out of debt first, then into a house. By the way, it's not for a car. This is depreciating stuff, cars. Non-depreciating is where my saving goes. And then I've got to work out my spending. Come on. It's pretty hard. No, the trouble is this. We're not taught this. Everything in life yells out, do it now. You need it. And I've got to go back and go, well, how much have I got my spending to see whether I can? One of the key aspects of a financial release is living within your means, living according to what you have in your spending jar. And the truth is for all of us, Faith demands our application, demands our work with it. I love this thought, best-selling author and behavioral scientist, the guy called Steve Maraboli said this, get rich quick schemes are for the lazy and the unambitious. Respect your dreams enough to pay the full price for them. Yeah, but Paul, my problem is I live in Melbourne. My problem is I'm down south. My problem is I'm in north. Problems in center. Problem is our family's never broken through. I'm telling you as much as I can with everything I have, you are the same as me in much regard. What do you mean? You got 168 hours every week. If you want to sleep eight hours a day, that still leaves you with 112. And out of those 112, you get to make a decision. Have you ever written down the hours for your week and say, this is where I'm going to prioritize my life by what I have? 112 hours to eat. Some of us use a lot of those 112 hours while we're eating. To travel, to exercise, replenish. Come on, to connect, build relationships and to work. Now, you might not like this, but we're, we're wrapping up the series, so I'm going for it. Oh, it's all right for you, is it? Well, what I was taught as a little kid is work doesn't kill you. Yeah. 
So I have worked basically the equivalent of two jobs my whole life. What? I wasn't wired that way. I, I can't work 40 hours. I, I'm suggesting you might have to move from 40 to 60 hours a week. If you've got 112 hours disposable hours and you need a breakthrough because you want to live, live a different way than you're living now, then you're going to have to work harder. You're going to go and study one night a week and so that you can get a better job in 12 months from now. You're going to work a, a committed pathway. Come on, you're going to pay the full price for your breakthrough. You know, the Bible gets a lot stronger than I am. Let's go to Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Great message, Pastor. I really enjoyed that part. <laughs> Consider her ways, would you? And be wise. Wisdom's not a feeling. Wisdom's a decision point. A lot of people hearing this series, 12 months from now, will be unchanged. Because you will never deal with a root system that's been in your family for generations and made certain decision points about the change that's needed. See, the ant has no captain, no overseer, no ruler, but she works and brings her supplies in the summer when everybody else is playing. She gathers her food in the harvest. How long do you let sleep make your eyelids so heavy? Oh, sluggard, when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, just a little. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler. And your need. Your need's going to increase, increase, because you're sitting at home watching TV that you could switch. And some of us, if we don't have the ability to regulate it, should remove our TV for a year. Social media. Come on, some of us are younger people. Us younger people. Not sorry, but other people. <laughs> you don't actually need to spend all that time doing all of that. It's going to deflate you more than it should anyway. Why don't you get out and get a second job for a while? Well, I can't do this. Yes, you could. A lady came up to me again this morning. Well, this is my circumstances. And I said, well, I'm not here to make your decisions. God doesn't even do that. You could. You could get a second job for a while. Oh, didn't think about that. I said, I just preached it. What were you doing, sleeping? No, I didn't do that. Was... <laughs> hey, by the way, multiplication is the application or the determination of attitude and application. It just doesn't change. I turned 15 and I rocked up at school with a brand new 125 Honda motorbike. And all the kids says, oh, you're lucky. You're one of those rich kids. No, I'd been working for three and a half years. Four nights a week after school and all day Saturday. You can do more. You can make a decision in the season. I'm going to change my income so that I can live at a different level. Do you see a man who excels in his work? Proverbs 22. He or she will stand before kings. They will not stand before unknown men. Yeah, but Paul, the honest truth is I've been trying to get a job. I can't get a job. Get a job. No, no, Paul. I've been trying to get a job. I can't get a job. Get a job. What you're saying is I've been trying to get a paying job and I can't get a paying job. Why don't you go to the place that you're most passionate about and say, could I work for the next two months for no money? What do you mean? Nobody's ever come that. No. What time do they start? Nine. I'll be here at 8.30. What time do they finish? Five. I'll finish at 5.30. I'll work. You tell me what you want me to do. If it's not working for you in two days, you can fire me. But I'll be here for two months 
with nothing. Straight away, I can guarantee you, you apply yourself in that, you'll have a job within a couple of weeks. Don't tell me, well, our family's always had no money. No, no, no. You've got to learn. I've got to learn to live within my means. It's called delayed gratification. Come on, there is destructive debt. Oh, I walked into the airport and there's these new cars. We're just thinking about a new car and I just felt like this is God because we were thinking about it and there it is. (laughs) And on the side, it's got brand new car, zero deposit and zero interest and I, I just went, I just felt good. I, it smelled leather. I, it's just like, this is God for me. No, it's not. Because the moment you say yes to it, you've just lost 15,000 that you didn't have in the first place. Stop living beyond where you're at. Lift where you're at so you can live beyond. It's kind of like, we just got to make a decision. We're going to live within our means. We're not, we're going to delay our gratification. Again, the 30th US president, Calvin Coolidge said this, there is no dignity quite so impressive and no independence quite so important as living within your means. You start living within your means, you're going to feel free. It's my freedom decision. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I don't have what they have, but one day I'll get there if I work hard enough for it. It's kind of like, that's how I'm going to live. Let me say this. Oh, you can get these short-term loans. What are you getting those for? How are they targeted at the ones that have the least all the time? Because they're charging excessive interest rates. Just say no. Yeah, but everybody else has got it. I don't care. You're not everybody else. Increase your income. Come on, honour God. See the harvest. Save for generations. The fourth thing on your radar is your spending. And yet it's as important as the others, but it's fourth. Whereas we tend to spend first and then try to work out how we're going to do it with God. And I'm just here to say, no, everything. Marie and I got married. Every meal we had to think about. We had to dissect the loaf as to how much we could have for each lunch because we didn't have the money. We couldn't afford a washing machine. I was the washing machine. (laughs) For eight months in the bath with my feet because I had the biggest feet. She made me do it. But we just kept on going and we saved up. And then I saw on Trade Me here in New Zealand, like eBay, I saw a twin tub that washes stuff. I've got a picture. It's not our one. Ours was secondhand. That's a new one. You can put three shirts in one side to wash it and three shirts to spin. And I was living in heaven. Hey, spending too much money on fast food? Oh, everybody does it. You're not everyone. You're a child's king that's going to make a difference for generations to follow. Don't you ever borrow money for a depreciating asset if it's going to stop you doing everything else. We invest into the things that are going to build towards the future. We have to watch the lie of the enemy. By the way, rich people stay rich by living like the broke. Broke Christians stay broke by living like they're rich. Some of you aren't going to like me after this, but I'm helping you. God's not against debt. Listen to this. He's not against debt. He's against any kind of debt that's a depreciating asset debt and debt that begins to control you. Let me say this as the teams join us in each campus. 
You know, we say things like this. God will provide. God will provide. I'm teaching you. God will provide with you. Rather than God will provide for you. As a dad, he might do it as a once or a twice off. But he's going to have you change so that you will learn. And the generations will hear the echo of your life and go, our God is great. Young woman brought her fiance home to meet parents and they weren't that impressed. And mum said to dad and out the back in the kitchen, you need to take him aside and ask some questions about him. I'm not sure what he's really like. So dad took him aside while the, the girls at the end of the meal were in another room. He said, so what's your plans? The guy said, well, I, I study the Bible. And uh, that's great, he said. How will you ever afford an engagement ring? Well, he said, I I study the Bible and God will provide. Are you planning to rent or get a home? How will you pay for that? Well, I I study the Bible and my father in heaven, he'll provide. When you have kids, what are you going to do about what they need to get on? Oh, well, God will provide. As the fiance went home that night, mum asked dad, how'd you go with him, honey? Father said, I'm confused. He has no job and he has no plans. And he thinks I'm God. (laughs) It's not easy to pull up the roots that are wrong and to establish a new way of doing it. Without those four ingredients operate, I can't not hand on heart say you're living to build a financially free future. But if you would, come on, seeding or stewarding my financial authority, seeding my key to harvest, my saving is my generational investment plan, my generational echo and spending is my freedom decision. You live within your means today. Come on, your head goes up. You're going, I'm now in control of this. We can do that in the future. We can buy that washing tub in the future. We're not going to go into a negative debt. I'd love everyone in each campus today just to have this envelope. It should be on your seat or in front of the seat in front of you. Come on. I'd like everyone to pick this up just for a moment. Because I felt, as I said last week, we won't change without a decision. The decision's not mine to make for you. It's yours to make for you and your future generations. And God is saying, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go with that? The other thing as you hold that on the screens in each of our campuses We've put together something you can download, which is going to be a budget planner tool. And it works with our stewarding, our seeding, our saving and spending. And you can regulate the percentages as to where you're at and what you're wanting to do. And it'll give you a drop down at the bottom as to what you're spending in every area with a graphic so that you can begin to change the way that you live. And so just go online at uh, Life nz.org dash God money and me and that will help you begin to put in process but I I want to challenge every one of us I need God I need the proximity of God in my life to give me the strength to make the other decisions correctly and it begins by just honoring him simply don't buy into this anti-tithing debate why do we still debate about something that God is so much bigger than 
And it was never originated as an Old Testament law. It was always an ordinance before the law, in the law, after the law. The decree, from my point of view, has never been removed. And it's about relationship with Jesus because you trust him enough in the bigger picture. Amen. And I believe that together we can see God take us to new levels. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.